You are listening to the cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France Femme. Today we're in Clermont-Ferrand. of a phenomenal victory from Lottie Kopecki. And we've got quite used to seeing SD Works win. We're quite used to seeing Lottie Kopecki win. In fact, it was an SD Works 1-2, uh, but that would be spoiling the uh, tale of the attack that will be coming from Lizzie Banks. But first of all, before we come to you, Lizzie, we should say, Denny, we're sitting in a, a beautiful square. Uh, where on earth are we? Fill us in. Uh, do tell me, because I don't actually know the name of this cathedral that we're <laughs> looking at or the name of the square or the name of the statue we're looking at. Well, of course, we're in Clermont-Ferrand, uh, in a beautiful square uh, with the cathedral in our sights. It's the Cathedral Notre-Dame de l'Assomption. And we also have a beautiful, beautiful fountain uh, within view, which I believe is in honour of Pope Urban II. Of course, and, and he was Denny, around in the you'll, 11th century. <laughs> you'll know, of course, what Pope Urban did, didn't, won't you? What, what? <laughs> you'll know what the, that this fantastic statue is commemorating, what Pope, what amazing things that particular Pope did. Oh, yes, yes. But, but you don't want to share But them. there's so much to talk about <laughs> today that I won't go into that. OK, that's a relief, that's a relief. Uh, well, I should say, I mean, we're talking about who Pope Urban is, but we should actually say who you are, Denny. So we've got here Denny Gray from the British Continental. My name is Rose Manley. I'm the uh, host of the cycling podcast Feminine. And I'm also joined by Lizzie Banks. Uh, Hello, I, I mean, everyone knows. Are you, you don't need any introduction, do you, Lizzie? You were actually hoping to be here, but unfortunately you, could, you uh, couldn't be here with us for this week. But uh, tell us, what was it like watching from home? Um, they kind of let the suspense build a little bit, didn't they, the riders today? Yes, Rose, I was hoping to be on the ground racing, actually, uh, and couldn't make it, so, so I'm at home. I've actually had to come inside because I was recording outside, but the combine harvester was a little bit too loud. But it was great watching from home today. It was the first day that we had flag-to-finish coverage for the women's race as well. Um, but it was a really back-loaded stage. Um, it was really only sort of 40 kilometres to go that things started to spark into action. And then once they sparked into action, they did not stop until the finish line. So great, a great stage to get us started with this eight days of the Tour de France fam. Well, exactly. And we've got a uh, Tour de France newbie here with me in Denny. So, I mean, Denny, how have you found your first day on the Tour de France? Yeah, it's been magnificent, I have to say. Um, as we were talking about earlier, Rose, the crowds were absolutely fantastic. Lots of people commenting that the crowds were as big as they've seen at the men's race, which is great. It was my first time kind of wandering the buses and getting kind of post-race interviews and just uh, working out how it all works backstage which I've always wondered having been a listener to the cycling podcast for so many years but uh, so yeah so I'm getting to see the mechanics of how it all works. Well we're talking about the backstage but we should actually go to Lizzie who's going to give us the the front stage I guess which was what what actually happened in today's stage the first stage of the Tour de France fam 2023. <laughs> It's time for the tale of the attack. 
Well, stage one of the Tour de France Femme of X Zwift, 123 kilometres starting and finishing in Clermont-Ferrand. Billed as a flat stage by race director Marion Roos, yet the sting in the tail, the 1.7 kilometre Cote de Dutol, topping out nine kilometres from the finish, would prove to be decisive. Early attacks came from Marie Morgan Le Dunf of Arkea Pro Cycling and Tiffany Lawrence of Life Plus Wahoo, with the tour's first abandon coming from AG Insurance Sudal Quickstep's Mariah Benito after a nasty fall into a ditch. Marta Lack of Seratizit WNT livened up a slow start to the race, attacking at 45 kilometres to go, but was swept up as the bunch headed towards the intermediate sprint at Saint-Hippolyte. Lizzie Dignan of Little Trek made a small acceleration to take the points ahead of Mormon Passio and Carline Swinkles. SD Works Pro Time, SD Works new name for this race, and Little Trek took commanding positions on the front of the peloton on the chaotic run into the Cote de Dutol, where the pace at the front saw the size of the group continually diminish. As the pre-race favourite, Lorena Vibas struggled at the back, Lotta Capecchi exploded off the front with 400 metres to go to the top of the QOM. Only six seconds gap separated her from 10 riders over the top. Vollering, Niviodoma, Mormon Passio, Cavalli, Utrup Ludwig, Ewers, Garcia, Van Vluten, and Lippert. Nine kilometres of fast descending to the finish and a frustrated Mormon patio couldn't get any cohesion to chase Capecchi down. Five kilometres to go and Longo Borghini made contact with the chasing bunch as Capecchi's lead went out to 30 seconds. Behind, Pfeiffer Georgie was pulling hard to bring back Charlotte Cool, with Voss, Vibers, Reusser and Bauenfeind all profiting from her work, coming back to the chasing group inside two kilometres to go. A commanding victory was all tied up for the Belgian champion Lotte Capecchi. Charlotte Kuhl edged out Voss for third place, with Vibers winning the bunch sprint to make it yet another 1-2 for SD Works Pro Time. Notably absent from any of the chasing groups were both Rihanna Marcus of Jumbo Visma and Juliette Labousse of DSM Firminich. In the end, a loss of 23 seconds to her GC rivals for Marcus and a more significant 43 seconds to Labousse. As well as the first Maya Jean of this year's race, Capecchi also takes the lead in the QOM and sprint competitions as well, so yet another successful day out for SD Works Pro Time. We are very proud to be supported by MAP, the Melbourne-founded clothing company, which very much had a place in the global cycling community. Throughout our Tour de France coverage, we've been hearing from Jared Smith, the co-founder and co-CEO of MAP, and he's made no secret of his long-term aim to have MAP clothing on the shoulders of riders in the Tour de France. But it sounds like they may well have a deal with a women's team in the Tour de France fam before that. From the beginning, we really wanted to showcase women in cycling. It did start with some men's jerseys and we introduced the women's jerseys. But now we're very focused on keeping it equal and we're very much behind women in cycling. And we've got a very strong design team here at MAP and there are a lot of women in the team designing. So, yeah, we're very much experienced in making sure there is a balance between the way we advertise or the way we promote cycling and I'm really enjoying the the coverage of women's cycling now that feels like we're getting exposed to more of it and it's really exciting to see and we really want to get Matt involved in that as well. So hopefully in the not too distant future, we're going to have a team racing and that may happen before we actually have a men's team at that level. Very much a case of watch this space then. If you want to check out the range of MAP clothing, including the cycling podcast, Brilliant Jersey, of course, go to map.cc. 
Well, it was kind of business as usual, wasn't it? Seeing a, an SD Works 1-2. Uh, and I have to say, I was counting a little bit earlier the number of 1-2s they've had this season, and it came to 11, which is just kind of exceptional. Because normally when there's a 1-2, it's kind of hugely celebrated. But the fact that they've had 11, this is the 11th one this year, they had uh, Omloop, Stradabianchi, Nokarakursa, Ronda van Vlaanderen, Amstel, it's Zulia stage one, it's Zulia stage three, Lotto Turingen stage three, Lotto Turingen stage six, Tour de Suisse and uh, today. And that's just the one twos. That's not including the one threes and the the other wins. It's just like an exceptional record that they have, uh, isn't it, Denny? And, and it was normal service resumed, wasn't it, today? It very much felt so, didn't it? I mean, at the Giro Donne, we saw, I guess, not the SD Works A team, and perhaps that showed in the number of stage wins they had. They had one, but it very much feels like this time around, if they really wanted to and things went their way, they could potentially win every single stage in this race, which is a scary prospect. Unusually, though, I, well, one thing I have noticed, it's only their second stage win of the Tour Fam so far. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, Ever. Ever, ever, <laughs> in all of the, the many the Tour Fam. <laughs> we've had no we've had this the ninth stage and that's their second win so you know they're, they're not all dominant yet in the tour fam but it must be a worrying prospect to see just how good they looked on that final climb i think the other teams will be quaking in their boots we, we should do a prediction to perhaps to see how many one twos they're going to have over the season by the end of this tour <laughs> i I can't even bear to bear to think about it. No, we're kind of like underselling this race as well because it's not an all wrapped up SD no, Works no, race no. at all. But um, I will actually introduce now uh, Eleanor Cicchini, who's uh, a key domestique in SD Works. Here's the slightly ominous things that she had to say after the finish. How hard was it today, Eleanor, out there? Well, yeah, it was quite hard. We felt a little bit the pressure, you know, coming to this race with such a team and especially for me, Misha and Christine, it was like, um, uh, yeah, a day to control it and we had full faith into our leaders and, yeah, they did great. I think it's really nice to start the tour like this and it just gives a lot of motivation for us for the upcoming days. We know that the main goal is the yellow with Demi, but when you can win also <laughs> a stage, especially the first one, is always pretty nice. I'm happy for uh, Lotte, and she really deserves it. You talk about the pressure. I mean, everyone is, SD Works could win every single stage if they wanted. Yeah, this is, I mean, we had an amazing year so far, and I think coming to the tour with this team, yeah, for sure the pressure is high. But it's also, I mean, special in this team that in one side we know we can do well and we know that the win is, is there but the other side we are always like foot on the ground, feet on the ground and uh, also remember that there are really strong opponents on the peloton and never take something you know for granted or something like never nothing come too easy so I know how hard we train and uh, it's just good to keep on going like this this year. Is there ever a fear of you know pushing it too hard in every single stage you know might mean that you haven't got as much power for the final those final two stages which are going to be the hard well the final second to last stage is going to be the hardest yeah i think it depends a little bit from personal goals like for sure i i believe demi wants to save a little bit in these stages now because she needs to show up the last two two days are going to be really important for her but also like for us it's really like going day by day we take it day by day and we're also not too much concerned about having a bad day because you have faith in each other and trust in each other 
and if you have a so-and-so day you are just yeah clear you say it and the others make it up for you if you don't feel great so this is special and yeah it worked good today and i hope next days uh, also we can have some uh, good days on the bike well, that was Eleanor Cicchini of SD Works, and I was saying slightly ominous because she mentioned there that Demi Vollering was just kind of saving herself uh, at this point in the tour, and on today's stage she was just like keeping uh, plenty of her batteries uh, charged. Keep, keeping li- her powder dry. <laughs> keeping her powder dry, which is kind of scary because Lizzie, you know, Demi Vollering was right up there uh, on that climb, mm. and um, it was a really short climb, and they managed to just throw so many riders uh, out the back they obviously managed to get Lottie Kopecky up the road and she couldn't be brought back although we'll go into that a bit later about how much cooperation there really was there but that's quite terrifying isn't it (laughs) the fact that how strong they are yeah it's interesting because going into the stage so many people had Lorena Vibas as circled as the favorite for this stage and um, actually I texted you earlier didn't I saying that I thought that the GC rivals would go full gas and actually I didn't think she would would be able to win and I actually thought that they would go fuller gas than they did because it was clearly a very hard climb but I thought that perhaps um, someone from Canyon Shram would go earlier in order to go for the the QOM classification Um, but really you had Royce setting the pace on the front and it was interesting to see Royce setting the pace on the front and Vibas sort of trying to cling on the on on the back but they did have so many options you know they could have done a similar move with Kopecky with Demi Vollering and I wouldn't say today was easy for Demi Vollering at all but I think Cicchini was more referring to the fact that they're not going to send Vollering off the front at this point because that would really be an extra effort which people would want to chase down because yes we saw this lack of cohesion behind but you know you've got Kopecky up the road so that means the stage winner's out of the picture but she's not a GC threat to anybody so despite the fact in the group behind you've got two from Movistar, two from FDJ and two from Canyon who's going to chase there because FDJ brought three leaders to their race so even when they had all three riders which one do they sacrifice you know Canyon were doing this attack counter-attack thing which was driving Ashley Mormon Passio up the wall and she was she said afterwards it was so annoying that they were doing this because instead of actually committing to the chase and working for that win because they only had six seconds gap over the top they were so close but because nobody was really committing to it and of course Kopecky was committed in the front that gap just went, went out and eventually the the other groups came back because actually Elisa Longo Borghini was in a group behind so you know riders like Cavalli and Nivea Doma um, and Van Vluten really could have profited from that move. They could have put time into big rivals like Longo Borghini, but didn't. So interesting there. But I mean, it was it was obviously very hard. Following also said after the race, she said that the last 45 kilometers were so hard. They put all of their team on the front just to hold the position. They had to blow up their riders one by one in order to hold that position into the climb. But it was just absolutely so necessary. Well, we knew it was ominous this morning, didn't we, Denny, when uh, we saw SD Works all going on to the, uh, the morning podium where, you know, they uh, waved to the crowds and introduced themselves. And they were all wearing skin suits and none of the other teams were wearing skin suits, but they were obviously ready to make this race very hard uh, from the off. And only by making it very hard meant that Lottie Kopecky went and no one could follow, could they? No, absolutely not. And, you know, talking to riders afterwards, there were riders in that front group who just didn't have the legs. You know, it wasn't a 
it wasn't a tactical decision to let Lotte Capecchi go for well, for at least not for all of those riders. You know, it was a it was a legs that were decide it was their legs that was decide that were deciding and that uh, they were just hanging on at that stage. Which you know, talking to to Anna Henderson afterwards, she just said Lotte Capecchi just flew and there was just nothing they could do to follow her. It was a very very impressive acceleration. Well, there was a, a, but it did mean that it became quickly became like a a, a race uh, or a stage that was actually kind of GC crucial. It quickly turned in from it turned from a race that was, as you said uh, earlier, Lizzie was marked as flat according to the ASO uh, roadbook, but it quickly became not a decisive stage. But there were gaps that were made uh, on GC, and obviously that meant there were some people that profited from that by just staying uh, in that front group. And I believe, Denny, you spoke to uh, Veronica Ewers uh, on the finish line uh, there, and she was one of the riders who made it into that front group. I knew it was going to be tough, and it was. It felt like a classic, you know, lead-outs into the right turn to go into it. So I knew that that was going to be the case. And so, yeah, I mean, everybody had lead-out trains going into that turn. Um, and then I told myself I just had to be toward the front. Um, and then uh, Lata Kapeki just nailed it with like two or three hundred meters to go to get over the top and I was dangling a bit over the top but um, yeah thankful for that descent to catch back on. Yeah so that was Veronica Ewers. I think she was quietly pleased with how she handled mm-hmm. things there. She, Lizzie you, you obviously know her very well but she's positioning was so crucial into that final climb and she seemed to be pleased that she'd kind of got her elbows out and just made sure she was there uh, when she needed to be so she could hang on and, and stay in contention. Yeah, I was really impressed, actually, because, you know, positioning sometimes isn't one of Veronica's uh, fortes. She'll say that herself. And also, if you look at what the other teams had, SD Works had literally a 40 kilometer lead out, as did Little Trek, as did Movistar. Um, and she didn't have that same kind of strength of lead out with EF Education, Tipco, SVB. And I was watching it concerned because she's my teammate, of course, and really amazed that she managed to get herself back up there. Um, and right in the front, she managed to stay with those front riders just six seconds back coming over the top of the climb but I watched it back again afterwards because Juliette Labousse was one of the the big losers and I know you spoke to um, her teammate after the finish but I was trying to work out what it was that happened to Juliette Labousse why why she lost so much time if she was in that kind of stretch where there was a real pinch point in the village at the bottom of the climb and she you know Pfeiffer Georgie seemed to have Charlotte call on her wheel really guiding her uh, and Juliette Labousse seemed to be a little bit further back and just sort of like yo-yoing a little bit and not in that front position coming into the climb. That's a perfect intro into hearing from uh, Pfeiffer Georgie, uh, who is Team DSM and is a teammate of, as you said, Lizzie Charlotte Cool, who actually finished third. But I have to say, when I went to the Team DSM bus, they were very disconsolate. I mean, Juliette Labou was just in, well, pretty much in tears. I mean, she was really trying her best to hold it together, really trying to uh, fight back the tears. Charlotte Cool was pretty disappointed. Also, I think by losing quite considerably, really, to Lorena Vibus, who, you know, we built up this kind of sprint rivalry between the two, between Charlotte Cool and Lorena Vibus. It seemed that Lorena Vibus had the upper hand by quite a, a long way over Charlotte Cool, over Mariana Voss. Uh, so the Team DSM uh, bus was not a particularly happy place, and uh, and uh, Pfeiffer George was doing her best to um, kind of keep 
morale high uh, and uh, console Juliette Labousse who was kind of on the rollers and I think Juliette also had some family and friends who came over to console her as well but let's hear from uh, Pfeiffer Georgie who was uh, who I spoke to on the rollers at the finish I've seen you doing a lot of consoling uh, already at the uh, Buster Day. What happened out on the stage? Oh, it was a crazy day. Like the last 40k was just mental. Everyone fighting position, crashes. Um, yeah, the positioning into the climb that was key, and then the climb itself was really hard. It was all split into groups, and yeah, we were just you have to kind of find out where each other is and communicate. And yeah, me and Charlotte came back and we came back to the second group so sprinting for second we came to win but I think we did what we could today so yeah I think no regrets in the way we raced so you're going all in for Charlotte to yeah. win the state then? yeah yeah I th- we all had yeah full confidence and I think rightly so she showed today that she was so strong and yeah Lotta did an amazing ride so congrats to her we can't take anything away from that did you think that it was going to be as GC crucial as uh, it turned out to be? <laughs> Before, like last week, I thought maybe not, but I rode it yesterday and I thought, yeah, it's a pretty hard climb actually. It, we kind of expected that it was going to be full gas and just everyone having to fight to the top. And how's uh, Juliet doing? She looks visibly upset. Yeah, I think we have full confidence in her and there's still seven more days. Um, yeah, it's a long race, so we just pick ourselves up again tomorrow and try again. Well, we heard road captain for Team DSM, Pfeiffer Georgie there, uh, being quite buoyant and kind of pragmatic about it, you know, uh, losing over 40 seconds on the first stage, but then, you know, there are much harder uh, stages to come. Uh, there's plenty more time to be lost and gained later on. But, it, it, I mean, Denny, it could prove to be pretty crucial, that gap that Juliette Labousse uh, has on her rivals because really we're not really talking about the fight for the yellow jersey are we for Juliette Labousse we're kind of more talking about uh, those the higher positions third fourth fifth um, overall potentially yeah I mean hopefully she'll look back on today's stage with a kind of philosophical angle and think actually in the grand scheme of things 43 seconds isn't that much if you look at the time gaps from the last last year's tour they were quite significant Mm -mm. and a good day on the tourmalet uh, a good time trial I know that she perhaps isn't a time trial expert but even stage even tomorrow's stage and stage four I think there could be significant time losses or time gaps potentially depending on how it how it's raced so it's not it's not one of those where she's completely out of contention you know there's still seven stages to go and I think that goes the same for all of the riders that lost time on GC today, not just Juliette Labousse, although she seems to have lost the most out of the potential mm. GC contenders. Um, you know, we're talking a handful of seconds against the kinds of riders she will be up against for what we think might be a, a podium place, potentially. So I don't think we should kind of rule her out completely. It's not no, the end of the world. But it, I mean, how much, I mean, Lizzie, obviously you'll know this as a, a pro yourself, but... Uh, how vital is that kind of confidence or that feeling that you're still up there you're still in it uh, instead of feeling like she might be aiming for say uh, a podium place on, on GC and already feeling that you've kind of you haven't got the upper hand on your rivals after stage one 
I think it's definitely difficult to digest. You know, if you were looking at kind of outsiders and then you spoke to Veronica Ewers and the positive vibes that she has, you know, Mm. as an outsider for that sort of top five podium spot. And then obviously the negative vibes that Juliet is going to be getting. And and she came into this off the back of such a successful Giro Donne. Um, We spoke to her in the last episode of Feminine, if you'd like to go and listen back to that interview. Um, And she was so positive having had that result finally getting that GC GC podium in a Grand Tour after so many years of trying coming now into a home race and and sort of getting you know batted down on the first day and that's going to be difficult to bounce back from but like you said Denny every day in this tour is difficult everything can anything can happen every day there are traps for the GC riders every single day um, whether that's the finishes that's um, you know difficult sections going into the the final part of the race whether that's even trying to avoid a crash on a sprint day before the you know before the three kilometer limit at the end or whether that's the time trial or the tourmalade so every day has traps that GC riders have to look out for and that's why when we you know previewed this race back in October when it was released we knew that it was a race that that the GC contenders weren't going to be that happy with because it wasn't going to be decided until right to the end. And and although, you know, yes, SD Works have the yellow jersey now. Yes, um, you know, Rihanna Marcus and Juliette Labus have both lost time. But there's so much more to come that we can't write anybody off because we just don't know what's going to happen even in, in a relatively short eight-day race. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at what happened in the Giro Donne recently, the, okay, Annemiek van Vluten ran away with the race, but... Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. The GC changed every day. It was really up and down, and you can see the same thing happening this time around. And Denny, I believe at the finish you also spoke to Claire Steeles, who's a rider you know a bit about because um, you've got more of a, a background in the domestic um, scene. So she's she's not necessarily someone who's going for a top GC position, but obviously is someone who wants a, a good position at the end of the race. Yeah, I mean, as you'll hear, she, she, she is going for GC. She lost 23 seconds today. But she was quite philosophical about uh, about her time loss, as you'll hear. Just wanted to ask you how that how that went for you, Claire. Um, it wasn't my best day out, to be perfectly honest. Legs really, really sleepy and just just not there. But hopefully, going to improve as the week goes on and ride into it a little bit more. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah. Do, do you have uh, kind of GC ambitions for this week? Yeah, I did have before today. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's a long week and a lot can happen. So yeah, GC ambitions definitely. And, they're probably still intact. Just need to hope my legs turn up a bit more tomorrow. Yeah, and how was it with the with the heat today? Uh, the heat wasn't too much of a problem really. Um, it's just tight, like sleepy legs. So okay. hopefully okay. they come with me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Claire Steele's mentioned there or hinted at the fact that there's plenty of stages still to come. Uh, in this race and uh, that gives me actually the perfect opportunity to mention Stacey Snyder's set of cups that she's made especially for the Tour de France fam to commemorate uh, the race route it has a picture of the uh, an image taken from the Lascaux caves which are nearby to here and uh, also a silhouette of the Tourmalet which is where we'll be going for stage seven and they really are so beautiful so if you want to get your hands on um, the cups or gelato bowls that Stacey has made then they go on sale uh, on her Etsy page on Monday tomorrow that is so uh, look lively at 3 p.m. UK time 4 p.m. Central European time and 10 a.m. Uh, East Coast, US East Coast time um, and uh, I'm really delighted to say that I actually met Stacey Snyder uh, 
few weeks ago for the first time in person and she has just so much warmth and such a generosity of spirit um, so you just know that these cups and bowls they're they're not just functional things they're pieces of art and they're, they're made with so much love and passion for racing and passion uh, for life so um, if you want one of those cups and bowls you have to be quick so they always sell out in minutes uh, so head to Stacey Schneider's uh, Etsy page uh, and be ready for Monday 3 p.m. UK time 4 p.m. Central European time or 10 a.m. Eastern the time podcast uh, in of the, the 2023 US. Tour de France Femme is supported by Science in Sport Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast and helping us to provide coverage of the Tour de France Femme alongside the three Grand Tours in men's cycling. The Tour de France Femme is one of the most gruelling physical tests that the human body can undergo and Science in Sport's Go Isotonic Energy Gels are scientifically formulated to help riders maintain their pace for longer. And while developed for elite athletes, Science in Sports Nutrition is available to all at scienceinsport.com. Fueled by science. Well, we don't like to do speculation. Well, we always say we don't like to do speculation <laughs> here on the Cycling Podcast. But the Lionel amount of it's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. But the amount of times I hear Lionel prefacing something with, we don't like to do speculation, but, or we're veering too close to speculation, but... Um, So we thought instead of us speculating about this week, uh, I would, at the start uh, of the race, ask the riders about one thing that they could guarantee would happen here at the Tour de France Fam. So we're going to hear from Alison Jackson, Cecily Utrecht-Ludwig, who will be quite obvious which one is Cecily Utrecht-Ludwig, to be honest, (laughs) Ashley Woolman-Passio, Claire Steeles, Jess Allen, Annemiek Van Vluten, Corinne Lebecki, Kasia Nivea-Doma and Lottie Kopecky. Something that's guaranteed to happen? Yeah. I guarantee you somebody on the bus is going to cry from laughter. That it really could be anyone. We'll see as the, as the weeks go by, everyone's a little more... Uh, <laughs> the tender tears come out. <laughs> what about a... a re, uh, we can get a good TikTok from you. What can you promise on the TikTok stage? <laughs> uh, you know, that really only depends on um, how things go in the race, and then that influences what sort of aftermath dance party there is. Hot racing! It's going to be epic and um, yeah, a lot of emotions. That's also guaranteed. Well, I'm definitely going to see a lot of uh, family and friends on the roads, that's for sure. Um, So already uh, a lot of family at the start uh, from South Africa, my mother-in-law, sister-in-law, niece, um, godmother, Carl is here, Um, my own mother joins on stage three, and then um, the final weekend will also be, I'm sure, a lot of people from Sharona, because it's quite close, so my physio and friends and all these type of people, so for sure I'm going to see a lot of familiar faces on the roads. Does your family come out from South Africa quite regularly to come and see, or is it something about this race that brought them here? Uh, They do come quite regularly, like usually once a year. Um, But yeah, I wasn't expecting to have so many of them here uh, for this race. So for some, it was kind of a last-minute decision that they just couldn't miss out on on the hype of the Tour de France Pump of Exwood. Guaranteed to happen this week. I will be like an overly excited child, and I will definitely get through a whole jar of peanut butter, a hundred percent. In one stage or over the whole week? I probably should say over the whole week, but it could easily be done in a day. Yeah, but no, the whole over the, the course of the whole week. Yeah. Then we're starting the women's Tour de France for the second time <laughs> in about an hour's time. 
That's about all I can guarantee, I guess. <laughs> there must be something that you know is going to happen at the Tour de France. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be aggressive, that's for sure, from day one. I think every day is going to be treated like a, a one-day race, so um, it's going to be full gas and uh, guaranteed to have a lot of fans lined up as well as what we have right now, which is uh, really exciting and really cool to be a part of. Tension. Oh, I like it. It's all you're going to say. Yeah, and already from the first doubt, that's what I learned from the last year. There was crazy tension in the peloton. I think maybe it will be a little bit less. Uh, last year, in the, yeah, the second stage on the Champs-Élysées was like crazy tension. I think we're all going to eat more than we really want to. Is that possible? <laughs> it's going to have to be if you want to make it through the end feeling good. <laughs> What's on the menu? Uh, this morning we had a rice porridge with coconut and ginger. It was actually quite nice. Uh, precisely three blueberries and a little garnish. Yeah. Is it going to be that all week or is it going to change up? I believe it's going to change, so we're going to keep the appetite going uh, with some different flavors. Mm, what to say? I think definitely everyone will just hit the wall. Everyone will bong, whether on the second stage or the last stage, but everyone will just like hit their maximum. Hopefully for you, not till the very, very end. So. Yeah, right? After the eighth stage, I can bong at the finish line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I you're desperate to say an SD1 yeah. to win. <laughs> we for sure hope we get at least one stage win. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, we're having a really good team and we really believe in Demi. Uh, it will be a very dangerous tour also because the stages are very hard and uh, every day is, uh, we need to be very focused. Well, we heard there a very giggly uh, Lottie Kopecky, didn't we? Trying to a little bit distract, I think, from my question about one thing that would guarantee. And then, I mean, she was the only person to actually say that her team would win a stage. Uh, and that's probably because she had the plan already there to go and just win it herself uh, and be in the yellow jersey by the end of stage one. I'm not sure she quite knew she'd be that dominant, but I think we have to, I think we kind of glossed over the SD Works performance earlier and just kind of said, oh, business as usual. But it really was an impressive ride. And obviously Lottie Kopecky was a great option to, to go on the attack with the legs she has and her kind of punchiness. But it was definitely helped by the fact that they had Demi Vollering in the pack, uh, Lorena Vibus kind of clinging on to that, that top group, eventually kind of losing touch. But And she regained touch on the, on the descent and that meant that they, as Lizzie said earlier, you know, they drilled it on the front, made it really hard for their competition, kind of went into the climb in the perfect position, Marlon Royce are on the front, and you have to say, they, they did play it perfectly, and, and Lotte Kopecky had the legs to, to finish it off beautifully, so I think as much as we, you know, yeah, we should gloss over what a great performance that was from the team. That's true, and it's because they've got so many cards to play that that there isn't that cohesion from the other teams, isn't it? Because you're, you're kind of. I know that Lorena Webus wasn't in that uh, chasing group immediately, but you're not going to want when you have the likes of Lorena Webus in your group. You're not going to want to bother to put, expend all this energy to do the chase to bring someone back to then just lose to a different SD Works rider, are you? Yeah, and it was the same with that front chase group with Mom and Passio, you know, because Vollering was there, and um, we all know that Vollering's got a really great kick and. She was doing a really good job following moves, you know, making sure that nothing was getting over to Lotte Kopecky. Um, but had it have come back out of those 10 riders there, I would have probably put my money on 
on Vollering because she's, you know, she's probably the one with the best history in, in those kind of finishes. Um, but I mean, Lotte Kopecky's move was not really miraculous but I would say quite astonishing you know they've been riding up that climb at threshold and then she attacks off of that really hard for 400 400 kilometers 400 meters not 400 (laughs) kilometers that that would be really that would actually be miraculous um (laughs) don't put it past SD works no don't put it past (laughs) SD works but she said after the finish uh, in her television interview that this is actually something she'd been thinking about and joking with her best friend about for three weeks texting each other saying oh you know you know just got to be there at nine kilometers to go I've just got to do this attack so she really had it focused in her head that that was what she had to do um, and knowing that there were you know three other SD Works riders as backup SD Works Pro Time I should call them actually SD Works Pro Time riders as backup if that move didn't pay off well I mean it's phenomenal because it's actually Lottie Kopecky's 11th win of the season which is a huge amount but she's kind of weirdly stayed under the radar I think because there's been so much talk about Demi Vollering mm-hmm. uh, particularly for this race and uh uh, you know all of Vollering's wins but Lottie Kopecky has just been quietly picking up all these wins kind of almost unnoticed compared to the rest of SD Works yeah it just goes to show just how strong the team are doesn't it uh, you know she's she's Belgium national road race champion she's uh, a quality rider in her own right it's interesting just how well SD Works play their strength we don't know what goes on behind the scenes but you can easily imagine a scenario where here in France it's all about Demi Vollering and the other riders don't get a look in and it's you know they I, they almost probably need their riders to be able to have their own opportunities to go for stages so I'm sure they're they're very very happy at the moment no no doubt I mean it was like a perfect start for them I'm just wondering, though, you know, did we get to see, uh, get to do a bit of a check on other people's form? Because uh, Elisa Longo-Borghini fell a bit behind on that uh, that climb, or the only climb of the day, wasn't it, that came so close to the finish. Uh, we saw the likes of Annemiek van Vluten obviously keeping her position very well, and Demi Vollering. Um, but, you know, what can we say about Elisa Longo-Borghini there uh, not being uh, in that front group uh, from the beginning and then having to chase back on uh, to get into that chasing group. Yeah, I think it's a difficult thing to to overanalyze anybody's performance from from this, you know, 1.7 kilometer climb when we know that positioning was so critical into it. You, we heard Claire Steele say earlier that she had sleepy legs, and it's really difficult to balance getting getting your fitness right coming into an eight-day stage race because you want to be absolutely pinging at the end. And so if you're really on fire right at the beginning, are you going to be a little bit too tired at the end? And so sometimes maybe you're not quite awake right in the beginning. And it looked to me like Longo Borghini was just sort of stuck, actually. I don't think it was really a form thing. She was just sort of stuck behind San Testaban uh, when that move went. And then suddenly there's a gap. And if you have to jump around and close that gap, that uses so much energy. So it's a split second decision where you say am I going to do it or am I going to wait and hope that this is going to come back together and clearly all of those riders betted on it coming back together and Longo Borghini was in a group that was really only a few seconds behind that initial 10 riders over the top so um, I don't think we can look too much into you know who's got what form on this climb and it's the same thing with Rihanna Marcus you know she lost 23 seconds to her main GC rivals but I don't really think we can say 
we can say what an impact that's going to have on the overall race other than at some point she's obviously going to have to try and get those 23 seconds back because I do think it's early and somebody that's on fire now may not be later because you know for Lotte Capecchi for instance she's going to have this stage circled she's not going to be winning on the Tourmalet and you know Marlon Reuser has already told us that they've circled that TT stage as an ideal stage win for her and of course Demi Vollering is going to be going for it as well so depending on where your targets are within the race it really changes your run into the race and you know exactly your preparations and what your legs are you know how your legs are feeling on each day. But you talk, Lizzie, there about uh, Elisa Longo-Borghini not being in, in the right position. I mean, she's in a team... To be in a team like Little Trek and to then not be in the right position when they seem to be going into the climb, they were kind of almost doing a lead-out, and then it was the intermediate sprint was 26.7 kilometres to go was that intermediate sprint. And it seemed like everyone was doing, including Little Trek mainly, were doing this kind of lead-out into what we thought was going to be a sprint at the intermediate stage. Lizzie Dining obviously came across there first but it wasn't like it was a big sprint for those points was it i mean i'll come on to the intermediate sprint in a minute but just going on to little trek i think they they almost seemed to burn themselves out a bit before they got to the bottom mm. of the climb and and therefore lost a bit of positioning but they were cer- certainly at the intermediate sprint they were right at the front of the peloton and we were watching it thinking waiting for the sprint to happen and almost it almost seemed to happen accidentally uh we 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 thought for a minute lizzie dignan had lost some you know, someone had lost lizzie dignan's wheel only to realize that actually she'd taken the sprint she was the only rider that seemed to put any effort in as you said lizzie in your tale of the attack um and it was very i found that very mysterious mm. because there's quite a lot of points available at the intermediate sprint and if you're interested in that green jersey 25 points for the winner going down from there. That's not insignificant mm. if you want to pick up points, particularly with that climb coming up. You'd be thinking, well, okay, maybe maybe now is a good time to bag some points. And also, so, also when it's so early in the race. Yeah, I just found that a real mystery. It was bizarre, wasn't it? Because, I mean, you know, Carline Swinkles was third with Mariana Voss in, in, in fifth, and we know that Voss will be looking for the green jersey points. And I, I don't know, maybe it was there, there was an archway over the road, but there was no line on the road. Maybe it was just one of those things where it just catches you out. You, you think it's coming a little bit later, and then suddenly it's there. Um, but it was just, it was a bit bizarre that Dignan went for those points. Maybe perhaps it's a secret ambition to go for the green jersey. It's called a sort of um, secondary goal. We know know that she's been sprinting well so perhaps on these hilly stages if she's there she's going to go for the sprint but she's also said you know very ardently that she is here to purely be a teammate and to be an impactful teammate as well so I don't don't really know what's going on there maybe they got confused and suddenly thought there were bonus seconds available or something or I don't know sometimes sometimes in the chaos and you know you said Denny that you know perhaps they burnt themselves out being on the front too early I do think it was necessary because we saw we saw that other teams that didn't do that um Jumbo Visma for instance weren't quite as as aggressive on the front well their GC rider ended up losing time so I, I do think it was necessary even though it was very early yeah with this very long a number of teams actually doing kind of almost like a very very long lead out into the climb but it was also much bumpier than just just to say that there was just one climb in that race mm. is incorrect because all of it was, of was up and down wasn't mm. it it was kind of like a classics uh, like race and I guess Lottie Kopecky is a classics like winner isn't she 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, her first win in Omloop Pet Newsblad this year, and she's sort of been going all the way through. I wondered how her form would be coming into this, because last year she, she had the same thing. She'd won in Strada Bianche. She'd been on fire all the way through the spring. And then she actually struggled in the Tour de France Femme last year. And this year has a slightly different dynamic because after this, of course, she's going straight into the Glasgow Worlds where she'll be on the track and on the road and probably going for that victory on the road at the World Road Road Race Championships there because it's made for her, let's be honest. So she's definitely timed things better this year. But yeah, you know, Lizzie Dagnan, I think, described this, this Tour de France as eight one day spring classics. And... Yeah, we have one of the best spring classics rider winning, winning the first the first spring classic of eight in a row. Well, and we've got something even more classic see tomorrow, don't we? A uh, uh, very hilly stage uh, two. I know you marked out Denny stage two as being the the one to watch uh, when we did our preview uh, last week. Which you know, and also like you know, this isn't too far off our ones with vibes. We normally sit in a street uh, out somewhere uh, in Wandsworth and we've moved from Wandsworth to Clermont-Ferrand. No dogs today. No dogs. Yeah, listeners will be absolutely delighted to have not heard a single dog barking in this particular uh, episode. (laughs) Well, actually, before you tell me about tomorrow's stage, Denny, we should introduce in Francois Thomasot, giving us a bit of French flavour about where we are in this beautiful Clermont-Ferrand. Now for some French flavour would be François Thomason. A little bit of French flavour from Clermont-Ferrand, which is quickly becoming kind of a, a common stage of both Tour de France because the men were there for nearly four days earlier this month. And now the, uh, the women have started their second Tour de France femme in Clermont-Ferrand. It's kind of in line with the uh, reputation of the city. Clermont-Ferrand has actually become very fashionable. I mean, it's a town that only 20 or 30 years ago, I mean, nobody would have wanted to live there. An industrial city in the middle of nowhere, you know, run by a kind of a mono industry. This is Michelin town. And Michelin, of course, the tires, is still present everywhere in town. If you drive around town, uh, around Clermont-Ferrand, the business center of the city these days is still the Michelin plant, the Michelin factory. Well, almost at the foot of the Puy de Dôme, you, you see that that's the nice thing in Clermont-Ferrand. You can see Puy de Dôme from everywhere you are. But really the beating heart of the city is, is and has been the headquarters of the Michelin tire company with a famous Michelin man who was once a regular fixture of the men's Tour de France in the 50s and 60s. Almost next door to the Michelin factory is the Rugby Union Stadium, Clermont-Ferrand being one of the strongholds of Rugby Union in France. And you've got lots of bars, lots of uh, industries, the local newspaper, La Montagne, almost next door to the Michelin factory as well. So you can tell still today that uh, Michelin is really uh, what Clermont-Ferrand is about. It's great relevance for Tour de France followers because Michelin also means the Michelin Guide, which awards every year the the stars to the to the best restaurant in France and all over the world. To complete a gourmet Tour de France, you, you always need to have your the Michelin Guide, you know, by your side or at, at least, you know, ever look in there on the website. And I can tell you, to find a good restaurant, you'd better trust a Michelin Guide better than some other 
specialized websites. I mean, you, you never really go wrong with the, the Michelin Guide. Cycling-wise, of course, well, Puy de Dome is everywhere. You'll see it, you know, on the stage today, everywhere you go, it's there. Well, we were happy with the men to, to see the, the Tour de France, you know, go back up the uh, Puy de Dome. Hopefully, you know, if it becomes a more regular fixtures, of a tour de France or cycling races in the near future. Hopefully, the women will have a chance to climb the Puy de Dome. Uh, they actually do uh, from time to time. You've got a, a amateur race called La Montée du Puy that, uh, that's been going on for quite a while now. And, and of course, it's open to men and women. Talking of Le Puy de Dome, the women actually climbed the Puy de Dome twice in the Tour de France before the access to the to the climb was uh, was blocked and Tour de France organizers and the people in charge of the the Puy de Dome you know were not on speaking terms anymore. 1986 and 1988 when the Tour Femme was taking place at the same time as the men's they did climb the Puy de Dome each time Italian Maria Canins who were by far the best climber of the time won the stage both times very important moment instrumental for Canins to win the race ahead of her great rival uh, for, you know Francis Jani Longo at the time so there's no reason why one of these days you know now that the uh, the Puy de Dome is reopened to a uh, big cycling races there's no reason why we couldn't see women go back to the Pilodome one of these days who knows we will see food wise we're in Auvergne so it's a home of poté Auvergnat which is kind of a, a very heavy stew made of uh, cabbage and meat you've also got truffade based on potato and meat as well usually the the food in the area is very stuffy and the portions in every, every restaurant you go to the portions will be big so you know for american friends i mean you you always find sometimes find european portions small well go to clermont ferrand you, you won't be disappointed in terms of the the amount uh, to eat and, and apart from that uh, as the the stage today showed it's also a water uh, area the race went through Ch chatel guillon which was a, a spa town for many many years and still is we also went through volvic which is quite famous for its mineral water and I remember a couple of years back, I, I had a, the honor of uh, winning the uh, water challenge. Uh, <laughs> I was asked at the time by Richard Moore and Lionel Burney to identify, you know, mineral waters from, uh, you know, without uh, seeing what they were. And uh, well, I managed to. And uh, Volvic is uh, is quite yeah, it's quite good. It's pretty neutral type of water, and that's about it. That was Francois Tomazo uh, telling us a bit more about Clermont-Ferrand. We went from Clermont-Ferrand to Clermont-Ferrand via some beautiful water springs, uh, according to Francois. And I have to say, I'm not looking forward to the stewy meat and cabbage uh, that apparently is on our uh, menu for tonight, but perhaps we can uh, find somewhere That's else. A 31 degree heat. No. no. Well, not so tempting. Well, Rose, I mean, you're in you're in bar derriere. You know, we should have said where where were you? But yeah, I can see behind you and Denny, there are two large plant pots that say derriere on it. So I'm not quite sure what you're going to be having for dinner. Rump steak, perhaps. <laughs> That's a very very good shout, Lizzie. Yes, we did sit at Le Derriere. Um, 
We didn't really notice that it was called the derriere until uh, a long time after. But it's very apparent to Lizzie because on our on our call, it is just very present between us. The word uh, derriere. But this isn't a, a, a race to the bottom. <laughs> um, let's try and keep standards uh, high uh, here. Uh, and Danny, you were going to tell us uh, a bit about um, tomorrow's hilly stage. Yeah, a very lumpy stage, starting in Clermont-Ferrand, finishing in Moriac. Um, there are six categorised climbs, uh, four Cat 4s, one Cat 2 and one Cat 3. And I think significantly it finishes uh, just after that Cat 3 climb. So it's an uphill finish, pretty much all uphill in the final kilometre with a slight dip towards the end uh, and some quite steep gradients in parts. So it looks like a real kind of classics style Liège Baston Liège uh, parkour on paper at least who are you tipping Lizzie because your tips are always very very good mm, so who are you tipping for tomorrow one because you know unfortunately we don't have flag to finish coverage tomorrow of the race so you'll just have to listen to us mm. to find out what happened um, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the race starts with a uh, an immediate uphill you know you've got seven and a half kilometers uphill overall at 5.4 percent but the last section of that is two and a half kilometers at eight percent so if the recent racing has been anything to go by i imagine it's going to be hell for leather out the doors and you're sort of going uphill for around about the first 40 kilometers now after that the stage is still lumpy but there's more downhill and more flat and the way the peloton has been racing, I do think that we'll have a select group forming at the, at, you know, in that first section of the race. But I also think that the peloton is, it's not the same as men's racing. We don't see the same control. And I think if a group does get up the road, we'll probably get the same sort of frustrating lack of cohesion. Um, so I actually think that it could be a day for Lorena Vibas tomorrow if she can get back to the front, even though it's not a stage that she earmarked. I have to say, well, that is that is a bit of a wow of a speculation. But I should have said, really, not who do you think is going to win, but which SD Works rider do you think is most likely uh, to win? But you answer that for me uh, anyway, Lizzie. But that's a that's a very interesting. Well, we shall see, won't we? Very bold. I mean, it could be, it could be completely wrong. She wouldn't could win have today, a right. hundred kilometer Anamique solo breakaway. Also worth mentioning, there's, there's uh, the first kind of in-stage time bonuses tomorrow. Mm. And of, of course, mm. Lotte Kopecky has a, a good a good gap. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays just 25 kilometres out from the stage finish. Uh, you know, will some of the GC contenders be looking to get an early march on their rivals at that point? Yeah, how much energy are they going to want to put in for that time bonus? Well, that's a, a very good way of setting up uh, tomorrow when we... Sh- well, now I'm staying with Denny, so obviously that would be weird if I, the next time I saw him would be tomorrow. <laughs> I'd just be closing myself away. But the next time we'll be meeting up with you, uh, Lizzie, will be after tomorrow's stage. And the next time uh, listeners you'll be hearing from us will be uh, after stage two. We're going to um, wipe our derrieres and go on somewhere else, I guess is what we could say, when we're going to leave this bar derriere. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to leave it behind, of course. <laughs> oh, very nice. We should have... We should have, if we had realised earlier that we were sitting at Bardariere, we would have written a whole list of uh, excellent puns. But yes, we're going to go on somewhere to find our uh, cabbage and uh, meat stew, which we we can really look for, which Francois really set us up to look forward to. Um, so, good night, Lizzie. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you, Rose. And good night, Denny. Thanks, Rose.
The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.